The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 10, 30, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. I have the privilege of coaching my son's soccer team. Uh, my son is uh, four years old, so me and my buddy, um, the, the other coach, we coach 11 four- and five-year-olds in soccer. And when I say soccer, I mean soccer in the loosest sense of the word. I don't know if you've ever seen four- and five-year-olds play soccer. It is basically, there's a field, okay, and a ball and a herd just going around following the ball. And there's really like, there's a wide range of skill levels out there. You've got the one kid that like every time they touch the ball, like it's just automatically a goal. Okay, it's just going to be a goal. And then on the other extreme, I've got a kid where I like, where, where did he go? And I turn around and he's actually in the goal, like weaving his arms through the netting, you know. <laughs> you know, he might be like another time I turn around, he's like picking flowers over here. He, is just, he doesn't even know what we're doing. And so it's a, a wide range. And um, something that I have just learned through this process is, man, there are sometimes, uh, like this, this past weekend, like yesterday morning, there are sometimes where the team, I mean, it is like, I don't know what happened, they all ate their Wheaties that morning, but they are just like, they're on fire. Like, they're all like aggressive and focused, and they're all like all over the field. I'm like, wow, like I'm like impressed, like look at this team. And, and then there are other games where it's like the, the whole team is like moving in slow motion, okay? And it's like, um, like the game we played after Halloween night. So four and five-year-olds who had had way too much sugar and stayed up way later. I think I actually had a player fall asleep on the field, okay? Like it... It is bad. And so like there are two different soccer teams that could be out there at any time. I, at some point, I could have a soccer team that is like half asleep. And sometimes I might have a soccer team out there that is in full force. It's like there's just something that is just lit up the whole team and they are in full force. And that same dynamic can be present in our friend groups, in our squad. In fact, there is one particular dynamic that happens among Christian friends, and I'm being very specific when I say Christian friends, because throughout this series, we've talked about a lot of things about friendship, and a lot of those can apply to any friendship, but this particular thing today that we're talking about specifically applies exclusively within a Christian friend group, or between Christian friends. And there's this one particular dynamic that if this enters into Christian friendship, it ignites that friend group and you see that friend group in its full force. In fact, there's a power that can happen in that Christian friend group if this one ingredient is added in. There is a power that can happen that really is unbelievable. And the, the, the disappointing thing, the challenging thing is that it's not like a secret. It's actually a very obvious thing. But tragically, so often as Christians, we like deprioritize it. We overlook it, we forget about it, we forget about this one particular aspect exclusive to Christian friendships that can really ignite and empower a friend group beyond what we can imagine. I want to take a look at a passage that uh, speaks to this. It's the passage we've been digging into for the last few weeks. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And uh, if you've been journeying with us through this series, we have been really wringing out this 
part of the Bible. It's the end of a letter from Paul to Timothy. It's the personal instructions. And so there's one last verse in this that we really want to dig into. So we're really going to just park on one verse in, in this chapter. And um, I, I want you just to buckle your seatbelts because even when I just read this verse, it's going to knock your socks off. Okay, so it's 2 Timothy 4. Um, we're going to look at verse 12. Ready? I'm going to read it to you. Tychicus, I have sent to Ephesus. Now, did that just blow your mind or what? I mean, is your life changed now? Because that is incredible right there. No, I'm actually serious. That is the one verse we're going to look at in this text because there's actually a lot behind what's going on with this guy, Tychicus, which his name is pronounced multiple ways. Can we just call him Ty? Is that okay? Can I just call him Ty? Would that be better for everyone? Okay, we're going to call him Ty. And when Paul says he's sending Ty to Ephesus, there's significance behind that. Let me just get you uh, caught up here in this series. If you've joined us the last few weeks, then you know that the backdrop to this part of the letter is that Paul is asking his good friend Timothy to come and join him. Paul is in Rome. He's been imprisoned for sharing the gospel, for talking about Jesus. He's been imprisoned for that. And he's in prison and he asks Timothy to come and be with him. He says, look, I, my friend, I need you here. Like, I, I need you here with me. Which, by the way, is a really big ask. He's asking Timothy to practically travel across half of the Roman Empire. He's saying, I want you here. And the reason that's so significant is Paul goes on to say in these verses that aside from pretty much one other good friend, a guy named Luke, Paul's alone. He's got other people he knows. He's got other acquaintances there. But really, as far as like good friends that he knows and he does life with, aside from just one guy, he's alone. And so he says, Timothy, I, I know I sent you out to do mission work in this one section of, of the Roman Empire, but I, I need you back now. I need you here. That's how important it was for Paul to have that friendship. That's how highly he valued friendship. That's how much he pursued Christian friendship, and that is a great model to us. But that also sets the backdrop for this verse that we're digging into. Because what Paul goes on to say is, he says, look, I'm all alone. He says, you know Titus and Cretans, they were part of our team. Timothy, you know about those guys. They've gone out to do mission work in other parts of the Roman Empire. He says, Timothy, I think you know about Demas. Demas was one of the guys, of course, I know you know Demas. He's one of our missions team. But I got bad news. Demas has deserted us. He's quit on us. He, he left. He's no longer here. Paul's like, I'm all alone. I need you here, Timothy. And so with that as the backdrop, it adds that much more significance that Paul is sending another one of his close friends, Ty. He's sending him to Ephesus. In other words, he's saying, it's so important that I send this guy here, Tychicus. It's so important that I send him there. I'm actually calling Timothy back, Paul says. I'm calling you back, but I'm sending this guy to Ephesus. It was obviously a big deal because Paul sends Ty at great personal sacrifice to himself. Do you see this? With this backdrop, I mean, that is great personal sacrifice to himself that he's sending Ty to Ephesus. But that's not the only thing. I mean, this is quite a journey. I have a map for you to, to check out of the journey from Rome to Ephesus. Check out this map. I know you can't read all those little words there, but the arrow on the left is Rome, 
and you can see it there on Italy. And then over on the right, over where modern-day Turkey would be, that was called Asia Minor at that time, um, over there on the right is Ephesus, um, right there. And so you, you see that where Paul, Paul and Ty are in Rome, he is sending Ty all the way to Ephesus. He's going to stop in Ephesus, and then he's going to move inland to a, a city called Colossae, to where the Colossians are. And Paul, uh, Paul is sending Ty, and he's actually sending Ty with another guy uh, named Onesimus, and they're traveling with these letters. And that is a significant distance. He's sending Tychicus 1,500 miles, and, he's gonna, and it's going to go by boat. In ancient times, he's traveling by boat. This would have been from Rome to Ephesus, a three-week journey on a boat. And then back from Ephesus to Rome would be three and a half weeks back. And so I want you to imagine this is not on a luxury Norwegian cruise ship, okay? Those kinds of things didn't exist. exist. There weren't passenger vessels for travel for fun. Like that wasn't a thing. And so he would get on a merchant ship, which means there is one cabin on a merchant ship for the captain. Everyone else sleeps on the deck. So he's purchased passage and he sleeps on the deck at night with these sailors for three and a half weeks. That's a long time. I don't even think I would want to camp in my backyard one night, let alone three weeks on the deck of a, of a merchant ship. Okay, this is a significant time commitment. It's not just a personal sacrifice of Paul to send Ty. It's also a huge time commitment. I mean, you're talking like months of just travel there and back that Tychicus is going to take. This is a huge time commitment. And by the way, it's also a huge financial commitment. Uh, historians estimate that there's, it's about one day's wage for every day of travel just on the vessel, let alone traveling on land, which is far more expensive. So you're talking like a month's worth of wages just to make this, this passage one way, and then a month's worth of wages to travel back. This is expensive. This is a huge time commitment, a huge financial cost, and it's dangerous, Traveling by boat in that time, time period is notoriously dangerous. They don't have life preservers. They don't have lifeboats. They don't have GPS. They don't have devices that tell how deep it is underwater. Like if you're going to run against a reef or something, they don't have those things. In fact, just from what the Bible tells us in the short ministry of Paul, we know that Paul was shipwrecked four times. On four different occasions, he was shipwrecked. And he says on one of those occasions, he was floating on some wreckage for an entire night and an entire day. You know, they can't call in and say, hey, we've got, you know, come get us. Like he was just floating, wondering if someone would come and get him. I, I want to just start by saying, when he sends, I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. That's major sacrifice for Paul in that time. That is a huge cost, both time and money. And it's really risking Ty's life. So why is it so important that he goes to Ephesus? Well, we actually know the answer to that question. It says in the letter to the Ephesians, the reason why he sent Tychicus there. He could have just sent one guy. He could have just sent Onesimus with these letters. But he sent Tychicus along with him for a specific reason. It tells us why. I'm going to jump over to 
Ephesians chapter 6. This is the end of that letter, and I'm going to pick it up in verse 21. Here is the whole reason for all of that expense. Here's what he says. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister of, in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. I don't know about you, but I'm a little underwhelmed by that whole reason for sending Ty to risk his life. I mean, he's going there to just, like, be newsy. I mean, like, that just seems a little underwhelming. It seems I was expecting some more urgency. Uh, I have, uh, Rebecca and I have little ones. We have three little ones. And so one of our rules in our house is once you are in bed, okay, you cannot get back out of bed unless it's an emergency, okay? The challenge then is defining what we mean by emergency, all right? And so I, I'm there with my son recently, and I'm like, okay, buddy, all right, I'm like, we're not, you're not getting back out of bed unless it's emergency. Do you know what I mean by emergency? And he says, oh, yeah, Dad, I know. I'm like, okay, what do I mean by emergency? And he's like, you know, like, you know, like if a giant red octopus comes through my door and emerges into my room, like that would be an emergency. And I'm thinking... Okay, if that happens, you can get out of your bed. Okay, we have a deal. We understand each other. Giant red octopus, you can get out of your bed. Okay, it's a deal. Okay, so I'm like, okay, wow, that's his threshold for an emergency. Okay, mythical marine creatures. Okay, that's his threshold. Okay, I think we're good. So uh, a little while later, I hear these furious steps running down the hall, and I'm like, I'm, I know it's my son, and I hear these furious steps. I'm like, okay, what is this? I mean, because if, if his threshold for emergency is octopuses, okay, like, what is this about to be? And I'm like, what is it, buddy? What is it? He's like, dad, dad, can you clip my fingernail? <laughs> yes, I'll clip your fingernail. Now I'm going to give you an emergency. Get back in your room, okay? And so... I was a little underwhelmed by what he said, okay? And if I'm honest, I'm reading this and I'm kind of expecting like all of this. I know how big of a deal it is for Paul to send Ty, you know, across the Roman Empire. I know that that's a huge sacrifice for him. I know it costs time and money. I know it's really risking the life of his friend Tychicus. And he goes all the way to Ephesus and, we, and he says, here's why Tychicus went on this adventure risking his life. I just want you to know how I'm doing. Really, Paul, like, couldn't you just spare the expense of a couple extra pieces of papyrus and just kind of outline the last couple months? Hey, you know, so it's sunny here, you know, and this is, a, like, couldn't you have just written it? Why is it so important that Ty goes there all the way to Ephesus? Well, there's more that he has just said, and I want you to understand the context of Ephesians. Look what he just said, and I just want to read this over you. This is Ephesians chapter 6. This is just before that, verse 10. Look what he says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God 
that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keeping alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. Do, Do you see what Paul is saying here? He's saying, I need your prayers. Saying, we are in a battle. I need your prayers. I'm asking you to pray as I am speaking the mystery of the gospel that the Holy Spirit might reveal Jesus Christ to each one of those people that we're preaching to. He says, I am asking your prayers and I took all of the effort to get Tychicus to you so that you can know all that's going on. Why? So you can know how to pray for me. Why? Because there's a battle going on. There's a spiritual battle that's raging. An invisible battle that we only see the the hints and evidences of in our life. There's a spiritual battle. There are forces of evil that want to bring down the work of Jesus Christ. The Bible says the devil, the enemy is like a prowling lion looking for someone to devour. There are forces of evil that want to devour you, Christian. There are forces of evil at work. Tomorrow when you wake up, it will not be business as usual. It will not be another routine day. You wake up in the morning, you you leave your church today and you enter into a raging spiritual battle. There's a battle happening in this room right now. There's a spiritual battle that is real that is happening. That spiritual battle is even more real than the physical, tangible battles we see. In fact, here's what I want you to do. I I want you just to stop for a second, and and I just want you to look around the room. I I want you just to look around at the faces. I just want you just to scan across the faces in this room. You did not see, as you looked at these faces, you did not see a single face a single individual who is not embroiled in a spiritual battle over their life. There's a real battle. There's an enemy who if you're a Christian, he cannot cannot lay claim to your soul anymore. Why? The Bible says not a single soul can be snatched from the hand of Almighty God. If you are a Christian, your soul is permanently safe in the hands of the Heavenly Father. He cannot lay claim to your soul. He cannot lay claim to your salvation. He cannot lay claim to your eternity. But he wants to tear down your life. He wants to pull apart your marriage. He wants to, lay, he wants to claim your children so they would go wayward. Well, he, he wants to bring calamity into your finances. 
He, he wants to bring turmoil into your health. He wants to sow fear into your life. He wants to sow shame into your life. He wants to whisper in your ear that you are not worthy to be used by God. He wants to undermine the truth of your life that God has made you into a new creation, that you are born again, that your sins are as far as the east is from the west, that he has ordained for work for you to do before the beginning of time, that the Holy Spirit living inside of you has empowered you to do. He wants to leave you mired, feeling worthless and useless and unfair fruitful in your life, abandoning the dreams that God has sown in your heart. He wants to tear those things apart. There is a battle that is real hanging over your life, Christian. How real is the battle? I was reminded last night. Yesterday, as I, I, I wrote down some notes that I have here in my Bible, and, I, and one of the notes I, I was going to share later in this message, uh, it was just a line I wrote down here, I was going to challenge those of you who find yourself awake often in the middle of the night, that sometimes God is waking you up to pray. At 3.30 in the morning last night, I was startled awake, my phone was ringing, and I saw, and I look at it, it's one of my friends, I'm like, oh, oh no, and I answer the phone, what's going on, what's up, what's up? And I'm, I'm like worried, like, okay, who, who's hurting, you know, what, what's going on, is, is, did someone die, like, what's going on? And, um, and abruptly, like, uh, the phone hangs up, and I text him, like, hey, what's going on? Is everything okay? And he says, I'm so sorry. He says, what happened was I got a, suddenly a call in the middle of the night. I fumble to get my phone, and when I go to answer it, it calls you. And so I'm laying awake in bed. I'm like, okay, no problem, man. And I'm laying awake, and I, I'm just staring at the ceiling. My heart's starting to, trying to calm down, and I, and I suddenly remember what I wrote in my notes and I'm like, Lord, I know you are calling me to get up and, and pray. And I get out of bed, and then I bump into Rebecca, who's also gotten out of bed, and uh, we're both like, whoa, like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I said, I, I said well, I, I got up to pray. I feel like God's calling me to pray. She's like, I got out of bed because I feel like God's calling me to pray. And we stopped, and we got on our knees and prayed because we could not escape the feeling that God wants transformation to happen in people's lives. You should hear the prayers of Rebecca for you last night, tears streaming down her face, praying for freedom out of your life, for the miracles and the battles that are raging in your life. Why is it so important to send Ty across the known world to, to, to bring news because he knows he's in a battle and he needs them to pray for them? He says, you are in a battle for your souls and pray at all times for everyone and every occasion and all perse perseverance. Pray for everyone. Wrap it together in prayer. Why? Because it's a spiritual battle and spiritual battle requires spiritual weapons. There is one ingredient that if you add it into a friend group, electrifies that friend group with power. And it's not new. It's not a secret. It's not a surprise. But it's often forgotten. It's prayer. How is it that we can forget to pray for each other? Do we, do we realize what we are accessing when we pray over each other, pray for each other? Do we realize what we're accessing? I mean, when we give advice, we're fumbling through based on our limited life experience or some nugget of truth that we read in a book or heard in a sermon at some time and just fumbling through that. But when we pray, we are marshalling the power of Almighty God on the behalf of our brother and sister. 
When we pray, we're marshalling the power, we're channeling the power, we're calling upon the power of the one who breathed the universe into existence. The one who defeated the mightiest army in the known world and in the empire of of Egypt. He single-handedly, his people didn't lift a finger. He defeated the army. He says, I will fight for you. You just have to watch. And he lured them into the sea that he had rolled back in his power, lured the Egyptians into the sea, and then brought the waters down and crushed them. That's who we're speaking to when we pray, church. When we pray, we're talking to the one that says, here's all I need you to do. You just walk around this, this city and you sing worship to me. And as you're singing worship, you will watch the power that I do as I bring the walls down. We're talking to the one who at one point, it says in the Bible, the sun stood still. In other words, he stopped God, stopped the earth in its orbit. and enabled the solar system not to fall apart. So they had more daylight to fight the battles God had called them to. Do we realize the power we're marshalling in prayer? You want to see your squad, your team, your small group, your friend group, your, your group of Christian friends in full force? Pray for each other. And what kind of prayer are we talking about? Well, I'll tell you who I'd love to have in, in my squad. It's this guy that Paul talks about in Colossians. His name is Epaphras. Here's what he says to him. Tychicus was carrying this letter or Onesimus was on that journey. And in that letter, he says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. Did you see that? He's not saying Epaphras struggles to pray. He says Epaphras struggles in prayer. Other translations say he wrestles in prayer. He labors in prayer. Epaphras is not the type of guy that hears his friends say, hey, pray for my marriage, and then days go by, and he's like, oh, yeah, what was that? Oh, Lord, um, yeah, bless their marriage. No, he's wrestling in prayer. He's saying, God, my, my brother and my sister, you've, you've called them together. You've united them in marriage. Lord, I can't imagine that you're going to let this fall apart. So God, I, I'm calling in the name of Jesus that you would work in power in this marriage. He's saying, he's praying things like, God, I pray you protect them from temptation. I pray that you would breathe humility, breathe confession in there. Lord, hold them together. Give them the strength to take the steps they need to do to spare that marriage. Please, God, he's wrestling in prayer. It's not simply, oh, I, I, yeah, that's right. My friend asked for prayer for his wayward son. Oh, yeah, God, just, just call him home. No, he's on his knees wrestling. God, this is a soul that you love. This is a soul that you died for. God, call this son or daughter back. And Lord, I pray for my brother and sister. Give them wisdom on what to say, wisdom on how to act, wisdom on how to welcome them home and demonstrate the, the gospel back as they're welcoming them back home. Lord, I pray you do something this week in that child's life. It's not just something simply like, hey, you know, man, pray. <sighs> Could you just pray for me? I, medically, I, I've got something going on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, Lord, uh, I, I pray for their, their, their doctor's appointment that it, it would go well. No, it's praying words to the one who walked healing instantly. Dear Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I pray for my friend who's struggling. God, I know you can heal, and we'll accept anything from your hand, but Jesus, I know you can heal. Could you touch that body right now? You have control over all the molecules in their body. Would you, God, I, I just pray for healing that you may be glorified. It's digging in and wrestling and laboring in prayer. How could we not pray for each other when we understand the power that, is give, that we are given access to in prayer? 
groups, don't rush through your time of giving prayer requests. That's one of the most powerful things you do. Can I give you a couple things in, in response to this to do regarding prayer? Here's the first thing. If you're gonna have this type of prayer, you have to carve out time for prayer. You can't do this type of prayer multitasking. You, you can pray uh, all the time, and you should. I mean, you should pray while you're commuting, while you're in the gym, in the back of your mind during a meeting. You should pray all the time. Laying in bed, up late at night, you should pray all the time. But for this type of prayer, you've got to carve out the time and saying, this is the space where I'll be undistracted, uninterrupted, and I will dig in in prayer. And I know for me, if that's not first thing in the morning, it gets left in the dust. Christian, you've got to prioritize. One of the most powerful things you do is when you're praying on behalf of your brothers and sisters, on behalf of your family, on behalf of your, the, the, the lost coworkers in your life and neighbors. You've got to carve out time. Christian, you've got to write it down. If someone gives you a prayer request, you've got to have a notes tab ready on your phone somewhere where you can jot it down. You've got to have a prayer journal that you leave near your Bible and you take with you to your small group so you can write down those prayer requests so that you don't say, oh yeah, yeah, I'll pray for you. And then don't. You've got to write it down. Christians, if we're going to, if we're going to unleash this, the, release the power of prayer in our groups, then here's what that means when you're in group. You actually have to give your real prayer request. Because so often the prayer requests we give are like safe prayer requests. They're not vulnerable prayer requests. It's prayer requests like, oh yeah, was it my turn? Well, pray for my Aunt Margaret in Chattanooga. She's got a toe issue. I'm just worried for her. And meanwhile, there's all kinds of battles brewing in my life, but I'm going to keep those quiet. I'll just handle those. But I'm just going to release the power for my second grade teacher's cocker spaniel who's been to the vet recently, Okay. You've got to release the power of prayers in your real battles. And so when you go to small group and you push into the fact that, well, to give my real prayer would be to reveal that I don't have it all together. Guess what? You don't have it all together. None of us do. That's why you've been brought to this group so we can lift each other up. When you are vulnerable and you say something like, hey, our marriage needs prayer right now. My son or daughter needs prayer right now. I have financial struggles. I have spiritual doubts. I've got a sin issue in my life that I need your prayer for. What we're doing is we're pushing into what we know of the gospel, that it's okay that I'm not perfect and none of us are. The thing that's gathering us together is that Jesus is perfect. That's what you're pushing into. So don't hold back from releasing your group on the real battle in your life. Be vulnerable so you can release that power into, uh, over that issue in your life. And here's the fourth thing that we've got to do. We've got to carve out time. We've got to write it down. We've got to give our real prayer requests. And we actually just have to pray for each other. We have to actually do it. We have to carve out the time and we have to go to our knees and lift each other in prayer. We have to go for a prayer walk and devote it to praying for each other. We've got to journal our prayers for each other. We actually have to stop and lift each other in prayer. Can you just imagine with me? What might happen in our church if one of the greatest markers of who we are as a church is how fervently, how passionately, how recklessly we devote time and prayer for each other? Can you imagine what would be released? Can you imagine what would happen in our families? Can you imagine what would happen in our marriages? Can you imagine what would happen for our children? 
Can you imagine the fruitfulness that might come from that empowerment but from the Holy Spirit as we're lifting each other in prayer? Can you imagine the fruitfulness for the gospel? Can you imagine the movement in our city? Can you imagine the movement if church after church in South Florida was ignited with a passion to tap into this prayer, this powerful tool that we've been exclusively given to, to get an audience with the Almighty God that he would rush his power into this world? Can you imagine what might happen? Well, here's how one man put it. It's a, an evangelist from about a hundred years ago, and he also wrote about prayer. And here's what he said happens with prayer like that. He said it like this. When the devil sees a man or a woman who really believes in prayer, who knows how to pray, and who really does pray, and above all, when he sees a whole church on its face before God in prayer, he trembles as much as he ever did, for he knows that his day in that church or community is at an end. Church, don't we long to see that day in our church and in our city? Don't we long to see that day when the power of the Holy Spirit is so flooding through our families, flooding through our workplaces, flooding through our friend groups, flooding through the industries of our city, through the city itself, and we see churches ignited on their knees in prayer, and we see that the, that the, the devil begins to tremble because he's losing the grip of these strongholds in our city that he has had for far too long as we are planting the flag of Jesus Christ. Well, we were told how to do it. We're told to marshal the power of the almighty God that we might see that. Can we be a people of prayer? Can we pray over each other? Because there's a battle going on. Here's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna end our time uh, a little bit differently. We've got some leaders that are gonna come down to the front and um, I'm gonna invite the band on out as well. And here's what we're gonna do. We've, we've left some time here at the end of our service and we're gonna just take what this text says and we're gonna apply it right now today. And so we're gonna pray over each other. And so today you might be here and you might be saying, I am in a battle today. There is a battle that's raging for my marriage there's a battle raising over, raging over my children. I've got a battle financially. I've got a, a medical issue. There's a stronghold in my life. There's a, a sin issue in my life that I need strength, and I, I want to see that broken. Or maybe you're sitting here, and, and maybe you're one of those faces that, as people were scanning around, you say, I know there's a spiritual battle over my soul, and I'm ready to see victory in Jesus Christ. I want to turn over my soul to Jesus today. I want to turn over my soul, and I, I want to put my faith in Jesus today. And so here's what I want you to do. If, if there is something in your life, there's something in your relationship, something in your, in your career, something in, in your finances, maybe you want a prayer for healing physically, we want to we see the power of God working in our midst as we're praying over each other. So in just a moment, when we start singing, we have leaders all across the front. You can form a line down these two aisles, find someone, tell them what's going on, and we are going to pray and watch God move in our midst today as we close with this song. We are going to see the victory that Jesus won when he rose from the dead. We are gonna see that surge through here and that victory applied in our lives today. Would you stand with me? We're gonna close with this song. And as these leaders are coming across the front, if today you say, hey, I need prayer today, you can begin coming forward. Come on down now. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or 
ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.